Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, good morning. It is so great to be here this morning. I always love being here on Sundays with all of you to worship. Uh, we, I love the singing. Uh, singing is one of my favorite things, one of my hobbies actually, and singing with you all is just incredible here every Sunday. And uh, we, we just sing out so loud and uh, it's, it's incredible to worship here with you today. Before I get started, I just wanted to say um, we've had uh, our female intern, Kristen, has been with us for a year now. Uh, actually, since last May, and she has done just a fantastic job, an absolutely fantastic job, and it's been a pleasure working alongside her, um, and, and she has really given herself to, these, to the girls and, and everybody in our youth group, really. But she's completing her time with us very soon. Uh, we have new interns starting on Wednesday, and so if you get a, get a chance, tell her thank you, tell her how much you appreciate her, especially you know, the youth group. Um, because she, she's going to be done with us very soon. Um, and we just really appreciate Kristen and what she's done for the youth group. Uh, she's been a lot to, to us, so thank you, Kristen. You know, when I was thinking about what to speak about this morning, um, last week, I, I was kind of struggling. Um, usually, preachers, if you ever preach before, a lot of you probably have, a lot of the times you preach on things that are happening to you in your life at that very moment. Uh, things that really mean a lot to you or, or something that's going on in your life. And I thought I had what I wanted to speak on, uh, but, but for some reason I was like kind of hesitant about it. Uh, and so I, we were riding in the car, me and Haley, and I was like, Haley, what, what can I speak on? What, can, what, what is something that I, you know, I, I need to talk about? She said, well, what's going on in your life right now? And I was like, well, I don't know. I, I couldn't think. I was kind of stumbling across it, but then it came to me. And uh, oftentimes, preachers preach on things that um, they mean more to, to them than the audience, and it, you know, it helps them more. So this lesson this week has been a blessing to my life, and uh, that's one thing I love about preaching, is that you know, it's more of a blessing to me than it, it probably will be for you, and it's helped me so much studying this. Um, 
But I want to say, many of you have probably seen um, the Disney animated film from, I think it's 1994. Can't believe it's been that long. The Lion King. The Lion King is uh, one of the, arguably one of the greatest Disney movies of all time. Uh, I, I love that movie. In the movie, there's a scene where a mouse, it opens up with a mouse just innocently running across the screen, just doing what mouses do, I guess. Uh, if you've never seen the movie, you wouldn't understand what's going on, but the mouse is just kind of running around, and then out of nowhere, a paw snatches up the mouse, and it, the lion has it dangling above its mouth like he's about to eat it, and it's Scar, who is the evil villain of the movie, you know, the, the evil brother of king, the king lion, Mufasa. And Scar basically is, is about to eat the little mouse dangling above, uh, above his head, and, and he t- starts talking to the mouse. And he's, the first thing he says is, life's not fair, is it? And many of you have probably seen that, uh, that scene, and it's actually in the new trailer because the, the new movie's coming out. But life's not fair, is it? He's basically saying, little mouse, you're done for. I'm bigger than you, and your life's about to be over. Life's just not fair. That's how it is sometimes, right? I heard this phrase a lot throughout my life. Um, huh, me and my brothers were not the most well-behaved children, let's just say that. Um, I love to talk a lot, and I, you know, I, I still do, but I got in trouble a lot as a kid because I ran my mouth. Me and my brothers bickered back and forth every now and then. I don't know how my parents dealt with us, but they did, um, and I, I like to think we turned out a little bit decent. Um, but I remember my dad would tell us every now and then, life's not fair. Whenever we would complain or whenever we would say, you know, Dad, that, that's not fair. Why did I get punished and he didn't? Well, you know, why, did, why didn't I get that? But he did. My dad would say this line from the Lion King. Life's not fair, is it, son? And a lot of the times, you know, my dad would be kidding with me. Um, he'd say it in a joking manner, but I think he was right. You know, he, he might have been teaching me a lesson. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, life isn't fair sometimes. Sometimes life does not go exactly the way that we have planned it. For some reason, you know, we feel like we are entitled to have life go our way. We feel like, you know, our our plan should happen. What we want to happen should happen in our lives. You know, the the thought we get a lot is, you know, people look at Romans 8.28, you know, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Hey, if I'm a Christian, that means that, hey, my life's going to be perfect. You know, if I'm a Christian, I'm good, therefore good things should happen to me, right? You know, that, that, that's what should happen, right? That's not true. Uh, that's not what that verse is saying. It's not saying that everything's going to go smooth. Paul's just simply saying that if you're a Christian, in the end, everything will work out. Even if bad things happen to you, God will take care of you. But sometimes life just isn't fair. The, the age-old question, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? And vice versa, why do good things happen to bad people? It's hard to understand. We fail to understand why our family members are stricken with a disease and are given three months to live. We struggle to understand why we lose a job and we have no source of income for a, a period of time. We struggle to understand why a tornado rips through a city and, and tears apart people's lives. We struggle to understand so many things like this, the tribulations of life. And many of you are going through those things right this very day. 
tough situations. Family members are passing. You yourself, you're getting sick. Your relationships are failing. Life seems to be so unfair. The tribulations are building up. And unfortunately, at times, it seems that all of these things build up on top of each other. Bad things just keep happening to us. And on top of all these tribulations of life, you have to account the busyness of life as well. If you're like me, then, then you're, you're pretty busy. And I know some of you are way more busy than I am. But it seems like we run at life at a thousand miles an hour. We, we just keep going and going and going and going. And we never have time to just relax to have a meaningful conversation with our spouse or our kids or our family members or or anybody for that matter. We're running and running and running and just when we think we have time to relax, something else comes up. Somebody else needs us. Somebody else needs us to do something for them. We get caught up in so many things building on top of us. So you couple the busyness of life with the tribulations that are going on in our lives, the hardships, the trials, we tend to worry. We tend to let things get to us. We worry about how we're going to get through, how we're going to make it through, how we're we're going to get through these problems that we have in our lives, how we're going to get through this busyness, get this weight off of our shoulders. And unfortunately, worry is a real thing. Anxiety, being anxious is a real thing. And more than ever, anxiety is becoming an issue for people. More and more, the cares of this life are weighing on people and bringing us down. And worry, it really can be debilitating. It can can lead us down into some dark depths in our lives. It can cause us to not focus on things that we're called to focus on. Worrying is real. And and so many of us get caught up in it, and and, and I do. I get caught up in worrying. The the, the cares of this life get get to me. And this is something that I needed this week. And it's so amazing to me that the Bible always has the cure. The Bible, the Word of God, always tells us how we can get through. And it's no different with worry. The Bible tells us, gives us the cure for worry. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at two passages today uh, that I I think can help us uh, in our worries. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. This is one of my... My absolute favorites. I, I love this passage. Um, that I've loved it for a long time. And, and many people, you've probably read it before. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read this whole psalm. It's very short, just 11 short verses. And uh, we'll, we'll get some application from it afterwards. Psalm chapter 46, or Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. 
I love this psalm. Because you can just see right from the get-go, in verse 1, he calls God our refuge. He calls God our strength and our very present help. And then in verses 7 and 11, he calls God our stronghold. Our, our stronghold. These, these things are so prevalent here. What God means to us, what God is for us, is so clear in this passage. He's a refuge, folks. He's a refuge. You know, when I think about refuge, I think of... Um, I think of a storm. You know, oftentimes the weather, uh, the weather advisory or whatnot will, will tell you, hey, seek refuge from this storm. Stay indoors. Get underground so you can stay away from this tornado. You only need to seek refuge when you're in trouble. I mean, that, you wouldn't need a, a refuge in any other time unless you're in trouble. And that's what I like to think of as, as a refuge is, is where we can be safe. We're safe in the storm and we're underground or we're staying indoors we're safe with God. He's our refuge. Another thing I think of is uh, the cities of refuge that the Israelites had. You know, in, in, in the law of Moses, uh, God designated for certain cities to be set out as cities of refuge. And these cities, it, it's, a kind of a, it's an amazing concept to me, that if somebody accidentally killed somebody, they could flee to a city of refuge in order to escape the avenger of blood. The avenger of blood was often the, the nearest kinsman to the person who was killed, and he was to seek revenge on his uh, relative that was killed. And so if somebody accidentally killed somebody in, in Israel, they could, they could flee to this city of refuge. And in this city of refuge, they could live without the harm of the avenger of blood. And they'd be awaiting a trial from the elders and whatnot in the city. And so God gave these people hope. If they accidentally killed somebody, they could flee to the city of refuge and they could have hope. Now, it's a dire situation that they have to run from everything that they've known, but, but still, they have hope. They have hope in this city of refuge to, to, to live. They can escape death themselves. They have a hope. And that's what God is for us, folks. He's our refuge. He's who we can run to in times of trouble and have hope that we can get through this, that we will live. He's our refuge. When, we're, when we are in trouble, we can run to Him. He's also called our strength. God is our refuge and our strength. In Him, we live and move and have our very being. He's the only reason why we can get through this life. We are strong because He is strong. And we rely solely on God, or we, are, we, we should relies solely on His strength. God is our strength. He calls us to rely on Him. He is strong, and, and, and in Him, we can be strong. We can make it through. We can have the power to make it through the storms of life because God is our strength. He's with us, folks. He's right by our side. He's called a help. God is a refuge and strength and ever-present help. This lends itself to mean that, that God is abundantly available for you and I. He's abundantly there for you and me. He's not hard to reach. He's not hard to, to go after. God is abundantly there, ready for us to seek help in Him. He's ready for us to seek His help. And He can help. Think about the things that God has done. God is ready to help. He is our ever-present help. He's ready to help at the blink of an eye, the snap of a finger. God wants to help us. He's our ever-present help. And then in verses 7 and 11, 
He's called a stronghold, or maybe you have a fortress. And here, I, you know, it's like a military-type uh, image here. You know, you think about uh, an enemy attacking a city. You wouldn't just want your city to be on flat ground with no fortified walls. You want your city built up high. You want it built up and fortified high, strong, so the enemies cannot reach you, right? We want a secure height. We want to be somewhere where, where the enemies can't reach us. That's what God is for us. God is where we can run our fortress, our stronghold, where our enemies can't touch us. Where our enemies, where the, the storms of life, the calamities, the destruction in our life can't get us. Because we're in a secure place with our Lord. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our ever-present help. And He's our stronghold. He's our stronghold. And that, it's just beautiful imagery to me that this is what God is for you and I. He's readily available for us. And oftentimes, He's not the first thing that we seek. He's not the first thing that we go after in these times of storm. But He's readily available. And He's waiting on us to call on Him. But look what the the psalmist says here. Because God is our refuge and strength, because He's our ever-present help in trouble, our fortress, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Even if the earth begins to change drastically, calamities befall the earth, calamities befall our lives, we will not fear. We will not fear because God is our refuge, because God is our fortress, our stronghold. He's our help. So we're we're not going to fear. There's no need to fear because we have God on our side. Then we get this drastic change from this calamity that the earth shattering and changing, the mountain slipping into the sea. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. This is uh, seen as, as a, um, a reference to the city of Jerusalem, which is where the temple of God was for the Israelites. This is where God's dwelling was. There's not a literal stream running through you know, the, the temple or, or Jerusalem. It represents the stream flowing through Jerusalem. This city represents God's presence. God's presence is among His people. He's among us, folks. He's among the people in Jerusalem. That's where he chose for his dwelling place to be. And where God is, where God's presence is, there's peace. That's what peace is. It's having God's presence in your life. And God's presence is among us. And therefore, we we should not fear. He calms us. He is our peace in times of storm. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered, he raised his voice, the earth melted, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth, he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two, he burns the chariots with fire. Many, uh, when I was researching this, a lot of of things that I saw, scholars tend to think that maybe the psalmist here are, are pointing back to a specific time in history when God delivered the Israelites. And specifically, we see King Sennacherib when he's attacking Jerusalem in King Hezekiah's reign. And then he's basically mocking God, King Sennacherib. It's this is 2 Kings. He, he mocks God. Basically, he says, you know, I'm King Sennacherib. I, I'm the king of Assyria, and I, I have conquered everything. No God has delivered 
the people from my hand. He's not going to deliver you either, you Israelites. And then the next day, like 185,000 Assyrian uh, soldiers were slain. God overthrew the Assyrians. And many people think that this psalm is referencing that, but whether it is or not, the fact is that God makes the war cease. God can, can, can make everything cease. And His power is so strong, His might is so prevalent, and He's willing to make the war cease, the, the, the strife to cease. And that's what this next verse says. Maybe your, your, my, my version here is this is the NASB says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Maybe your version says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You know, I absolutely think that this verse means for us to just stop and relax. Throughout our days, we need time to reflect with God. We need time to sit back and just think about our lives to read the Bible, to pray, to reflect on our day, to just relax and understand what God is doing in our lives. But in the context of of calamity and wars um, coming about, it's more of cease striving. Stop fighting. Stop the fighting and know that I am God. Stand in awe of who I am. Stop fighting. There's no need to fight anymore because I'm on your side. Cease striving and know that I am God. Have we ceased to strive? Have we just been still and been in awe of God's wondrous might, of what God can do in our lives, and understand that He's our refuge, He's our strength, He's our stronghold in times of trouble? And again, oftentimes, God's not the first thing that we seek in times of trouble, but He needs to be, because He's an ever-present help. So why should we stop worrying? Because God is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. We can be still and know that He is God. The second passage I want to look at this morning was a passage that was uh, just just read for us. Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 6. I love this passage as well. It's, It's just beautiful the way Jesus just basically puts worry to bed. And it's interesting to me that, that in what is considered to be the most famous sermon of all time, Jesus preaches about worry. Why did Jesus have to preach about anxiety, about worrying? I don't know, maybe just because he wanted to. I, I don't know, maybe because the people in his day were worrying. Maybe worrying's been a problem for, for ages. I, I don't know. But it's here for a reason, and it's here for our benefit. And I find that so interesting that Jesus desired to preach on worry because he knew, maybe he knew we needed it. Let's get into it here. And if we look at the, the, the surrounding context, right above this passage, Jesus is actually talking about not laying up treasures on earth. He's talking about, about laying up your treasures in heaven, that, that the possessions of this earth are fleeting. And that we cannot serve both God and possessions and money and riches. We can't do it. We don't need to do it. We don't need to lay up our possessions on earth. We don't need to have everything. And he gets into this passage of worrying after because God provides our basic necessities. God provides everything that we need in this life. So we don't need the treasures. We don't need to lay up for ourselves treasures on this earth. We don't need everything in this life to be comfortable. 
because God will provide for us. And so the, the context is, is in this context of kind of amassing uh, worldly riches. And then Jesus begins to talk about this worry, and he points to four things here, four things that can help us stop our worry. Here's the first one. It's in verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he first points out life and the body. God has given us this life, a precious gift of life. Life is so beautiful. We have so many opportunities in this life to serve him and just to live and enjoy ourselves. God has given us this life. God has given us our bodies, our our intricately woven bodies. I'm sure some of you have studied the science behind our bodies. It's incredible how our bodies work. And because God has given us life, he's given us our bodies, will he not so much more give us the lesser things like food and clothing? If he's already given us the blessing of life, the greatest blessing of life, if he's already given us our bodies in which we live, will he not also give us the little things, or the, the so-called little things, the food and the clothing? He's already given us the, the greater things, so to speak. Why will he not give us the lesser things? So Jesus is telling us that he's already given you your life and your body. He's going to take care of you. He's going to give you the food. He's going to give you your clothing because he cares for you. He will provide for his children. Secondly, he points to the birds of the air. He says, look at the birds of the air, verse 26, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? The birds of the air. Birds are pesky little creatures sometimes, and uh, many of you are probably afraid of birds, scared of them. You know, we see them at, at, on the beaches scavenging for food or on the roads with, for roadkill, whatnot. These birds seem to be insignificant creatures. They seem to be, you know, just flying around the earth, basically just being annoying, you know. That's what a bird seems like to us, right? This seemingly insignificant creature never escapes God's sight, never escapes the care of our God. A bird, folks. And many of you have heard the song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Beautiful song. His Eye is on the Sparrow. He's watching out for the birds. And the birds of the air have the least cares of the world. They don't care. They're inhabiting the world and they just fly around. They sing when the morning dawns. God provides for a seemingly insignificant creatures. How much more will He provide for creatures that are created in His image? How much more will He provide for people like you and I, for His followers, for Christians? If he so takes care, so much takes care of birds, these almost insignificant creatures, how much more will he care for you and I? So he points to the birds and he's just saying, again, he will take care of you. You are more valuable than birds. You were created in God's image. You were woven by him. So trust that he will take care of you. The, second, uh, the third thing he points to is the worthlessness of worrying. Look at verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And uh, the, the NKJV or the KJV says, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single cubit to his stature? 
Um, and, and the cubit is usually measured from the, in biblical measurements, it's usually measured from the elbow to the top of the middle finger. So it's about 18 to 20 inches or so. And, and so but Jesus here is trying to use the cubit as a very small amount. He's trying to make sure that we understand that we cannot even add a cubit to our lifespan. That we cannot, there's nothing we can do, there's no power in us that can make us lengthen our life. And the psalmist says this in Psalm 39, that our, our life is but a hand breadth. Our life is, 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 you know, lengths are often used for measurements of time. Our measurements are used for lengths of time, sorry. Our life is but a hand breadth. And worrying, worrying is worthless because it cannot do anything to prolong our life. It cannot do anything to prolong our situation here. It's worthless. There's no reason to worry because we're not adding any time to our life. And the last thing he points to here is um, the lilies of the field. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? He points to the lilies of the field, and I'm sure you've seen a lily before, or or just the flowers, the grass of the field. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. They give off a a great fragrance as well. We we love flowers. And Jesus points to the the king, King Solomon, the richest king of Israel, who amassed all these riches, all this glory, and not even Solomon, the, the richest king of Israel, not even Solomon in all his glory, was clothed in such beauty like a lily of the field, like a flower. Not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these flowers. And he goes further to say that the flowers are here for a, such a short time. They're, they're cut down and thrown into the fire for cooking, for fuel. That's what they're used for. They're here for one moment, and then the next moment they're gone, but God gives it the most beauty. And if God gives such beauty to something so, you know, almost insignificant, if He gives beauty, such beauty, to the flowers of the field, how much more will He clothe us? If He clothes the grass of the field with beauty that is here for a short time, He will clothe you and I. He will give us the basic things that we need in this life. And we worry so much about our lives. We worry about things, the calamities that are coming upon us. We worry about the busyness that we have, so much to do. And we fail to realize that God's in control, that God has given us the basic necessities that we need in this life. He's clothed us. He's fed us. He is securely provided for us. And therefore, we should not worry. Here's Jesus' conclusion here. Verse 31, do not worry then saying, what shall we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Here it is. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I had a coach in high school. Uh, Why? He wasn't our coach, but we called him Coach Butts. His name is Ricky Butts. Some of you may know uh, Ricky Butts. He's an elder at at the Creekwood Congregation in Mobile. And oftentimes, um, he was like the head of the Bible Bible stuff at Mobile Christian School where I attended. 
And oftentimes we'd have conversations as I got older about biblical, you know, biblical topics, and, and he, he'd get fired up. He'd get so fired up, and I'd just be talking to him at like 7.30 in the morning, and he's blowing me away. Um, and I remember, I don't, I don't remember if I gave a Devo about this or, or if he did or, or something. We had Devos in the mornings at Mobile Christian. And, and he came to me and he said, Tucker, it's so easy, man. It, it's just so easy. God's giving us the, the cure for worry right here. It, it's right here in front of us and people miss it. And people miss that, that, that they, just, they just waste their lives, Tucker. And I was like, yeah, you're right, coach. And he goes, and I'll never forget what he said. I love this line. He said, seek the man, trust the man, and he will take care of you. That's all he said. He said, trust the man, and he will take care of you. And, he, and then he walked away. And we were done with the conversation. But I think he's right. Trust the man, trust in God, and he will take care of you. It's so, it's so simple. Seek first. Concern ourselves first with being righteous, with being like God, with being holy, with being pure. Concern ourselves first with that. And God will provide everything that we need. Does that mean life's going to be perfect? Does that mean that life is not going to have any hardships or any busyness? Absolutely not. But it does mean that God is going to take care of us. And in the end, it will all work out for you and I. And he says, don't worry about tomorrow. A lot of us look forward to tomorrow worrying about our future, what, what it's going to behold for us, and, and what, what's going to happen to us, what's going to happen to our lives, our family members. Jesus says, don't even look forward to tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Stay in the here and now, live now, and let tomorrow worry about itself. But seek first His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. The basic necessities of life will be given to you. After all, I, I actually heard this from a, a guy named Chris McClantock from camp at Bible camp one year. He told me, if we go through this life and we have nothing, but we have God, then we have everything. If we go through this life and have nothing in this life, but we hold on to God, then we have everything. If we have God, if we are seeking Him first, we have everything we need, folks. He's promised to take care of us if we seek Him first. He's promised to be our refuge, our strength, our stronghold in times of trouble. So I submit to you this morning that the cure for worry is faith. The cure for worry is trusting in the Lord. It's trusting in Him and understanding that He will take care of you. And I think that's, that's what the psalm points to as well. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Psalmist challenged us to be still and understand that God will take care of this. And then Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. If we seek God first, He will take care of us. There are storms in this life and I'm mindful of Job. Job. Who we first see uh, in almost the opening chapters there, that Job was a blameless, upright, holy man. And yet God and Satan basically make a deal, remember? And, and Satan basically accuses God of hedging in Job. He says, Job's not suffering because, because you've hedged him in, because you're giving him everything that he needs. That's why he loves you, is because you're taking care of him. And God says, okay, you, 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 you take him into your hands and we'll see if he curses me. Satan says, he will curse you and he will die. Yeah, he's going to curse you. 
And if you remember, Satan takes everything that Job has, his possessions, his family, even his health. And many people look at this book, they think Job is about, all right, how do I get through suffering? You know, it's a book about suffering, how, how to deal with people who are suffering, right? But I submit to you that Job is not about suffering. Job is about faith. That Job held on to his faith amidst the trial. Trials and tribulations are definitely a part of that story. But I think it's mostly about Job's unshakable faith in the time of trouble. That he held on to his faith and did not curse God. He did not turn away from the Lord. He, he questioned. He wondered why he was even born. But he held on to his faith, folks. He had his faith. And in the end, God blessed him fourfold. He was so much more rich than he was before because he held on to his faith. And if we hold on to our faith, God will take care of us. Trust the man and he will take care of you. If you have any need this morning, if you, if you desire to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, we'd love to help you. Or if you just have, if you've been worrying and you need the prayers of this church, I ask you to come right now as we stand and as we sing. Have you been-